Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, thanks to Danny who covered for me last week and actually everyone in the leadership who helped. Uh, many of you who were here know that uh, one of my kids, Jordan, uh, was in the hospital and not to go into too much detail, but Karina and I had to go over there to fly to Louisiana to care for him, and then we drove him back to his home in Texas, where he's at right now. Uh, he's doing much better. Uh, continue to pray for him if you are mindful. We'd appreciate it. Uh, but it's good to be back here. And again, thank you guys for your prayer and all the text messages and the other messages that I got were very encouraging to us. Thank you so much. Um, so, moving forward, we are continuing a series called Identity Crisis, Who on Earth Are We Supposed to Be? This is our actually fourth study in this, and we are looking at the core values here at Genesis, the things that identify who we are as a community. And so I would like to try and spell these things out so that if you are coming here or maybe even thinking about coming here, you kind of know what we're about. You might say, oh, yeah, I really like these, or you might say, no, thank you. Um, I'll go somewhere else, and that's okay. We'll cry, but we'll, be, we'll live. Uh, but I do want you to have clarity of what it is that is our desire and the things that make us tick. Just in quick review, we talked originally about our first core value. We gave it the metaphor wind, and it has to do with commission, that mission is why the church exists. We use the metaphor wind as Jesus in John 20 breathed on the disciples and said, receive you the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came like a rushing wind and ignited them. Jesus told the disciples in Matthew chapter 28 to, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in, in the name of, in baptizing them and preaching all the things that he has taught and Acts chapter 1, Jesus says that you are my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world, that there is this commission that we are being sent. And we talked about how sometimes we're not doing anything wrong, but really we're just not doing anything. And we need to understand as a community that we have a commission by God to be involved with the lives of the world around us. And so that was our first core value. The second one built on top of that, and we gave it the metaphor of water, and this has to do with community or maybe a more familiar word to some Christian lingo is fellowship. And we talked about love is the context for all mission. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, John writes, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And we talked about the best way to show this attribute of who God is, that God is love, is by our caring for one another. It has to do with our human relationship. It has to do with community. That the universe in all its splendor does not reveal the attribute that God is love like you and I can. And so love is the context of all mission. Two weeks ago, we talked about connection or service. We gave it the attribute of wood. We talked in John 15 about we abide in the vine. 
And if his words abide in us, then our lives are to produce fruit that the spirit or structure must always submit to spirit. And we talked about how God's spirit does not live in buildings, programs, structures, but God's spirit lives in us people. And so what is really supposed to happen is we, the people, it sounds like we could write a constitution or something, right? Are to be empowered with the spirit of God, that you are set free to do the work of God, that you don't need my permission. You don't need a church's permission. You have the spirit of God in you if you belong to him and you are empowered by the spirit of God to do his work. And in fact, we need to cater to the work of God in you. If someone comes to me and says, you know, I really... They've been maybe a part of our community for a while, and they say, I really love your church. I think to myself, ah, there's work to be done because you don't realize this isn't my church. This is our church, and that you shape who we are. Your gifts, your abilities are what determines how we move forward. This isn't my agenda. This isn't our structure that we establish. Yeah, we have government to kind of direct us and to do all the things to keep things in order, but you are an integral part of how God is moving in a community. And so once again, you have permission to hear and do as God ministers to your heart. And today we're going to look at another one. Today we're going to talk about communion. We give it the metaphor of fire. And that's why I asked for your fire stories. No doubt all the stories that involve fire probably are a little bit exciting. Fire is kind of an exciting thing. It's not, you don't have encounters with fire that are just like, oh, well, yeah, we barbecued marshmallows. Usually a story of fire has to do with something pretty spectacular. And we use this metaphor because we see that Moses As he encountered God in that burning bush, he looked and wondered, why is this bush on fire, but it's not being consumed? That God appeared to them in that burning bush. We we see in Acts again, chapter 2, that the Spirit came and, and descended on them like tongues of fire. Hebrews tells us that our God is a consuming fire. So this isn't some safe fire that's in a fireplace. This is a fire that is consuming. And the idea is that we are to be engulfed in the flame of God. And we talk about communion in this way. And we want to proclaim that relevance to culture is not optional. And we're going to dive into these things of communion and why relevance to culture is not optional. There are some things that are taking place. I I just want to make kind of preface as we move forward. Just this week, a friend of mine has a blog and she published that Yahoo's News reported earlier this week that for the first time in its history, the United States does not have a Protestant majority. The report released Tuesday, and it was from the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life. And it breaks it down in this way that Protestants are now 48% of the United States population. Catholic, 22%. Unaffiliated, 19.6%. 
and other faith is 6%. And as the article went on, it talked about how it's not that atheism is growing, it's this unaffiliated that's actually growing, where people are connecting to God in different ways. And we talked about this, I think, in the original introduction, that it's not that people don't have faith or the word that's used now, they aren't spiritual, they're just not connecting to the way they traditionally have. And for the first time in our country's history, Protestants are no longer the majority. That's substantial in the religious realm. Another report came out that was interesting. It was the Huff Post reported that the number one Christian city in the United States is Salt Lake City. Think about that. Why is Salt Lake City now considered? It wasn't the case two years ago. It has a lot to do with the political element that's here with Mitt Romney and the religious right now supporting or putting their support on this person. Now, I'm not talking about how to vote or who to vote for. I'm telling you that there is a shift taking place in how people see and how the culture is shaping. And if we are unaware of these things, there is going to be an oblivious carrying on as if things haven't changed. And we'll conduct ourselves in a way as if we always have. You see, when we talk about relevance... And we talk about connecting to God. It doesn't begin with us to the people around us. It actually begins with God. The word relevance. What do you think of when you hear the word relevance? Throw it out there. I just put the definition so now you're going to (laughs) cheat. Good, Corey. It's uh, the relation of something to the matter at hand. Relevance is having to do with connecting to something. But relevance didn't begin or doesn't begin with us to the people around it. It's actually started with God to us. So turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Because it's important that we understand that God is relevant to us. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5, it says... Does anyone need a Bible? If you do, raise your hand and Alex will bring it to you. Just hold your hand up. We're going to start reading. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, relevance started when God became man. And what God was doing was trying to connect to us. And to do so, he needed 
to take on the form of a man. Now, Jesus didn't become man just to die for our sin and get us to heaven. Jesus became man to show us how a man or woman should live. He came to be an example for us how we conduct ourselves. And this is where the area of communion comes in. You see, because communion isn't just about when we take the bread and take the cup and drink and remember. Communion has to do with this relationship that we have with God. And Jesus was the example of the relationship we are to have with God. He exemplified this, and he did so throughout his ministry. Jesus said in John 5, The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. He also said, Then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. And so Jesus came and he said, what I say, it's what the Father is saying. What I do, it's what the Father wants to be done. I am in relationship with God, and my relationship with God is evident to those who are there witnessing it. And it wasn't so we could say, oh yes, Jesus did that. Jesus says these things, and he's an example that we are to be like him. We are to hear the voice of God and to speak the things that God would tell to us. We are to be moved by the Spirit of God. This isn't something that just happened to the early apostles, the disciples of Christ that were led by the Spirit of God. It wasn't supposed to stop there and then we just go and read about it. We were supposed to be a part of this movement. If a movement doesn't continue, it becomes an institution. If we do not continue the work of God in our lives living, we will become just an institution. Paul wrote in Corinthians chapter 14 when he's speaking about unbelievers, he says, so they will fall down and worship God exclaiming, God is really among you. Five times in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul talks about the unbeliever being among them. Interesting. There, there was supposed to be this understanding and enveloping of who we are that connects to those who don't believe in Christ. And when they see what God is doing in our lives, they're going to marvel and say, God really is here. Have you ever been in that situation? Maybe you're even in a time where singing, where you're just singing and all of a sudden the words just hit you in the chest and they just knock you down and it's as if God has got you and he's just holding you through those words and you just feel God strengthening you and you just want to weep and cry or raise your hands and just, God, you are faithful forever. I know it now. Do you think that's supposed to be just something that happens between you and God? And that's why that corporate time of worship and singing is so important. You, you don't understand that when you are touched by God, that there is residue, kind of like a good body odor. 
it, it overflows where the person next to you is now experiencing what God is doing through you. And it happens because you are communing with God. You are connecting to the living God and it spills over your life into the lives of others. Or it should. It's supposed to. I'm not here to just teach you the Bible. I don't wake up in the morning and say, man, I hope I can just really be clear in exegeting the scriptures today. That's not what moves me. That's not what my passion is. What I desire is that you would be connected to the living God and experience him in your life, his power, his grace, his boldness, his fire. My desire is that we would be a community connected to the living God, that like Jesus, what we hear, we speak, what we are told to do, we do. That we are in this relationship with God where we are not an institution, where we are not just a religion, where we are a people that have an actual relationship with God that shows up in our lives. Because if that's not happening, then we are missing the point. We're making this a religion. And we're experiencing much less than what God has to offer us. And so our core value is that all of us would be connected to the living God, that we would be able to experience God who he is, and what he is doing. And God has made himself known clearly to us. When Jesus was walking and ministering, what language did he speak? Hebrew, Aramaic, spoke the language of the culture he was in. It would have been useless if he spoke English at that time to those people. What color was Jesus? I hate to break it to you, he wasn't white. He was dark brown. His skin tone was the skin tone of a Jewish male at that time. And I'm not trying to be crass, but Jesus smelled like the people in that culture. They didn't wear deodorant. Perfume and those things weren't something that were there. He was a Jewish carpenter. He worked, he sweated, and he smelled like the people of that time. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I'm trying to push home how important it was that God was with us, that he took on the form of a servant, humbled himself, became obedient even to death, so that we could connect with the living God. God did this so that we could connect to him. He's not maybe who we thought or would like him to be. He's who he needed to be to be relevant to the people 
at that time to communicate clearly the message of who he was and what he did. That's just how it is. That's who he was. And and this continues throughout the New Testament. Paul identified with the cultures so that he could communicate, communicate clearly who Jesus was in a way that the people would understand. Acts chapter 17, when Paul goes into Athens, and there he appears on the Areopagus and speaks to all the philosophers. And he tells them about the creation, and he tells them about God establishing through one man, Adam, and this one man, Jesus, who God raised from the dead. But in his whole dialogue at Athens, he did not quote from the Hebrew scriptures. Why? Because the people of Athens didn't understand, know, or believe in the Hebrew scriptures. And so he quoted their poets, their philosophers, the things that they understand. And people say, well, it was a mistake. You know, Acts 17 was actually a mistake. Paul went to Corinthians and he apologized later. Well, he didn't do that just in Acts 17. He also did that in Acts 14 with him and Barnabas. It was his practice among the Gentiles to communicate in a way that they could understand. That was on purpose. And it's important for us to understand that the truth of God needs to be presented in a way that people can understand. Because it's the truth of God that changes lives. And and here's where many times we get hung up in our tradition, in our Movements becoming institutions. We lock into the things that we want or that we understand, even if perhaps they were wrong. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the writer of Hebrews writes, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so the word of God is able to pierce a person's soul. It's able to enlighten. It's able to change a person's life. So what is the word of God? Everyone's afraid to answer. Well, maybe you've been taught the word of God is the Bible. And there's no doubt Paul tells Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed. But understand that Hebrews was written about 63 A.D. The Bible wasn't compiled to about 300 A.D. So the writer of Hebrews, when he says the word of God is alive, active, is not talking about the scriptures as we know it. So what is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, the message of who Jesus is as it's shared through us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as the only one begotten by the son. That is the word of God. And that message has been given to you, has been given to me. It is the power that changes lives that we are supposed to be partaking of, that we now have and are able to give. The word of God is the message of Jesus Christ. 
who he is and what he's done, what he's done in me, what he's done in you, what he is doing in our lives, how he answers our prayer, how he convicts us of the wrong that we do, how he helps us through the struggles and the doubts that we have. This is the relationship, the communion that we have with God, and this is what we are supposed to bring to the people around us. The Word of God is the person and message of Jesus Christ, and it can only be given if we actually have it. And so we want to see people's lives changed. We want to see God working then we need to realize this is how he works. That's the message that Paul took to Athens. That's the message that we take to the world. And we have to produce this message in a way that people clearly understand. Because Colossians tells us that God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, that's the world, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Communion. Your relationship with God is the mystery that God needs to show. It's the mystery that we need to communicate to the world around us. That God cares for you and wants to engulf you in his love and his flame and his power. He wants to consume you. And it is a terrifying thing. But this is the mystery. Christ in us, the hope of glory. You see, Jesus didn't come to make us better. He came to make us new. We're not here so that you can clean up your act, get your life together, stop smoking, That's not what we're here for. God isn't trying to just put some makeup on you and make you look nice. He's here to change who you are, the essence of who you are. He's here to make you a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. All things become new. That's the purpose not to make you better, to make you new. That's the hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so this is what we're trying to communicate. And it's important to understand as we're wanting to communicate these things to the world around us clearly, that we don't abandon truth when we're relevant to culture. Because a lot of times when you talk about being relevant to a culture, people get afraid. Oh no, you're talking about compromise, but it, it's not even on the same page. If I were to tell you, you know, the earth is round, there, there's an, a fact, that's a truth that is there. How will the Lakers do against Dallas on the 30th for their game opener? The earth is round has nothing to do with the Laker game. It's not relevant. It's true but it's not relevant. Now, how will the addition of Nash and Howard affect the Lakers? That's relevant. Any Lakers fans here? Yeah, yeah okay. 
I got to get an amen or something. I mean, your world might be changed if the Lakers lose. I don't know. But the idea is this is not relevant to the topic. And it's important that we understand that just because something is relevant to a situation, it doesn't change what is true. When Paul used the words of the philosophers, the pagan philosophers, he wasn't changing what is true. He was being relevant to what they needed to hear. The wonderful and just powerful truth that God hears and answers prayer. That is true. Should I get jalapenos in my burrito? That's not relevant to the one. You might need prayer after you eat the burrito, but it's not relevant. That's just something that's aside. It has no connection to those things. And sometimes when we're communicating to people, we need to know what is relevant. We need to speak the language. We need to understand these things. Years ago, before Karina and I were married, I got a phone call back when phones were attached with cords to the wall. And I got the phone and I, it was like three in the morning and I had just gone to bed probably like at one in the morning or something like that. So I was kind of asleep, awake, and this person started talking to me in Spanish. And she was going on and it was important. I could tell by her tone it was important. And she was going on in Spanish, but I wasn't awake. And, and so I responded to her in Spanish and I said, okay. And she continued talking to me in Spanish, more just fervent, just going on and on and on. But I still wasn't grasping what she was saying. So I said, okay. And I just, I said that three times. And then all of a sudden I woke up and realized I don't speak Spanish. (laughs) Saying okay is going to do nothing. All I'm asking her, what, what, what? And then I realized it doesn't matter how many times I ask her to repeat it. And so I finally said, I don't speak Spanish. And there was this silence. And then she hung up the phone. You see, if we don't speak the language, it doesn't get us anywhere. We can't communicate if we don't speak the language. And so it's important that we understand just the language that's around us. It's important that we recognize that words do matter. And we're so used to our own language and developing our own culture. And we don't recognize that the world is changing around us and they don't speak the same language. I mean, think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or their wives, Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. Do you realize that Rachel probably wore the same clothes that Sarah did, or very similar in style? That the music they listened to was probably very similar? And we're talking about a hundred year span of time. Ladies, how would you feel wearing your great-grandmother's clothes? Any volunteers? How would you feel listening to your great-grandparents' music? Some of you, yeah, that's cool, retro, man. And some of you, like, no way. (laughs) Ryan, thank you. Things have moved and have changed much quicker than they have. And our language changes also. I get kind of harassed sometimes even by people in our leadership. Michael 
you know, harasses me when I say I, I don't, I have talks, I don't preach sermons. He goes, ha, you call that, it's a sermon to me. It's okay. He just had a boy, his, he's going to realize he knows nothing for the next 20 years. <laughs> his life's going to change. You know, the reason I don't like calling this a service, what does service mean? I don't work at Denny's. I'm not here. You don't give me a tip. I'm not here to fill your coffee up. This isn't a service. This is where we gather together. See, I'm trying to develop a language that empowers us to work together. Church. Church means something to, to people who we communicate to. A community means something else. I think a person who's not used to going to church might identify a little bit more with community than they would church. And you might say, these things are silly. They might seem silly to you, but it can make the difference between actually connecting the truth to someone out there. And that's why I use words like that. Or I use the word community instead of fellowship. Or I use the word scriptures instead of the Bible. Because some people think, oh, the Bible, and it's just that religious book. The scriptures have a little bit more mystery to you. The scriptures call it the scriptures. I'm biblical. (laughs) Get it? Biblical scripture. Anyway. The point is, I'm trying to communicate in a way that's clear to the non-believer who would come in. Because we're not here for ourselves. We're here to take this incredible thing that God is doing in us and share it to the world around us as clearly and as concisely as possible so that they too can experience the wonder that God loves them, has given his life for them, has died, has risen from the dead, is able to empower and change and make them new creations. That's what we desire. That's what we want to see take place with us. So I was on the phone with a young man. He hadn't slept in about nine days, except for a couple of hours here and there. He was very traumatic and and going through some very stressful situations. And as I'm listening to him talk on the phone at, I believe at... I forget what time it was. He's not making sense. His conversation is jumping from topic to topic. I can't tell what is reality and what is imagination, what is hallucination, because he's having a breakdown. And I have him on the phone, and I see the importance of this situation And I'm trying to be relevant to what's happening because what this young man needs right now is someone to come and help him. Now, Jesus loves him. That is true. And all the scriptures that are in the arsenal are all true. But what this young man needs right now is somebody to go and pick him up and take him somewhere where he can get taken care of. That's what's relevant. 
And so me quoting him a scripture, it, it's not going anywhere. It's bouncing off like a water off of a duck's back. It's not connecting because he is going from here to here to here and he doesn't know what's real as the story goes on. I don't even know what has actually happened. There's talk of an accident. There's talk of these other things. There's, and, and I don't know what's real. I don't think he knows what's real. And so what's relevant is I need to find out where he is. And so through the conversation, I finally get a location of where he is. And if I didn't have that location, I would have lost my son. That was relevant. We live in a world that is dying. And what they need is what's relevant at that time to them. And that can vary depending on where they're at. There is no blanket thing that you can throw over. Here's the three spiritual laws that are going to help this person. It doesn't work that way. God, in our communion with him, is able to give us direction on how to speak to the needs that are there. I was in a, an apartment talking with a, a couple of people. Two couples. This one young lady was talking to me. She's a lesbian. She asked me, so I need to know. Is it a sin for me to be a lesbian? Now, the truth is, the Bible does talk very clearly. It's a sin to be a lesbian. But you see, what she is wanting to know right now, or that I am discerning, well, as I'm talking to her, is she wants to know, does God love me? And so as I'm talking to her, I tell her, you know what? You want to identify yourself as a lesbian. I believe that God sees you as much more, and I see you as much more. I see you as creative. I see you as compassionate. I see you as intelligent. You want to reduce yourself to this and say, does God think this of me? And I think God thinks a whole lot more of you. And so, you know, you ask me if this God think if this is a sin or not. All I want you to know is that God does love you. And he cares about you. And she started welling up with tears. And she says, I wish you had been my father. I need to be relevant because this young lady needs to know that God loves her. Is being a lesbian a sin? Yes. Am I compromised? No, I didn't tell her. Well, that's okay. Don't worry about it. I just had to address what was going on at the time. She is... In the parking lot, she is asking for help and I'm wanting to give her what's going to be relevant to what she needs. How do you know what a person needs? You have to be in communion with God. But you see, that's the miraculous thing. That's how Philip can be walking alongside and there's the Ethiopian eunuch opening the scriptures and says, who, who can help me understand these things? And Philip goes, hey, I just happened to be here. I can do that. You see, God still does the miraculous, but he does the miraculous with the people who are connected to him, who hear his voice and say the things that he speaks to them, who do the things that he moves them to do, who are in relationship with him and are able to be relevant to the needs that are at hand. And we need to be willing to put aside all the stereotypes and the, the traditions that we 
have heard and let the word of God be powerful in us. The message of Jesus. Be governed by the truth of scripture. And communicate clearly what is relevant at the time so that we don't lose the person. Relevance to culture is not an option. Our society is changing. Our language is changing. It wasn't long ago that the word donkey wasn't in the Bible. The word ass was. Now, if you're under 13, you're giggling. If you're over 18, you're, oh, I can't believe you said that in church. And if you're somewhere in the middle, you're saying, yeah, so what? Language is changing. Christianity does not have the same meaning as it did in the book of Acts when they saw those people who were following Jesus and they say, those people are Christians. They are like Jesus. Today, when you say the word Christians, it's a world religion. And so a follower of Christ might be something that gives a little bit more direction than just Christian. Does that mean Christianity is bad? No, it's not relevant to what we're dealing with. The language and communication is important. It doesn't change the belief. It helps us to make clear the truths that we want to proclaim. And so I want to ask a few questions of us. Can you have a conversation with people about God without using religious jargon? Are you able to communicate your faith without using some of the religious jargon that goes out there? Been saved. Saved? From what? I was saved at camp once, fell out of the canoe, counselor got me. Can you communicate your relationship with God without using religious jargon? Because if you're just around people who are of your faith, they're going to use language that becomes familiar to them but becomes foreign to those who are outside. Will you regularly interact with God through conversations, that's prayer, and through the scripture? You see, you're not going to be able to be moved by God unless you are in connection with God. The way we connect to God is by our conversation, our praying, and by the scriptures, reading and knowing his heart and mind that's been revealed through the words that are there. Are you willing to do those things so that you can have this communion with God? And lastly, will you engage and serve people according to their perceived needs, hurts, and interests? Will you put aside your agenda and care for the people that you see and the needs that are there? Will you step into their lives and find out what they need and meet those needs? See, this is how we move forward as a community. This is what it means to be in communion to God and to understand that relevance to our culture, our world around us, it's not optional. It's required. If we are unwilling to change who we are in relationship to the people around us, then the movement of Jesus will become an institution. We don't abandon truth to be relevant. 
we address the needs with the truth so that it can move from one step to the next step. We communicate clearly in a way that they understand what our faith is and it's a living faith that we are experiencing. An encounter culture, a culture that encounters God that would then become an encounter culture that the culture around us will be able to encounter as well. We have to first encounter this with God so that we can distribute it to the world around us. Let's pray. God, it would be so much easier to just give a Bible study than to challenge us to be who you've created us to be. I don't know why a message like this can seem so difficult or even come across as so foreign when it is evidenced through your people throughout all of the scripture. God, you don't want us to put in our time. We don't gather here on Sunday mornings so that we can put in our hour plus, so we can put our money in the bucket, so that we can put our time in serving the children. Lord, this is supposed to be a time of encounter with the living God who speaks to us, who moves among us. We are to be a community that represents who you are. And sometimes we need to be awakened to what we've become. Recognize that you have so much more for us. But we need to be looking. We need to be seeking. We need to be listening. We need to step out of our comfort zone and be willing to step into the lives of those around us to have the hard conversations and the enduring relationships that are not just Here's four steps, take it or leave it. But to be there when the person's world falls apart and they call back and they ask for help and they want to know what do they do from here. Lord, that takes time. That takes effort. But that's what you've called us to. Lord, I pray that these words would be encouraging, that we would recognize that we are there at the steps, there at the door, that there is outside a world that is in desperate need of you. And as you became man, dwelt among us, humbled yourself, taking on our likeness, you became relevant 
but you always were reverent. May we do the same. May we be relevant, but may we always be reverent to you and the truths that you've given us. Lord, I pray for your help in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.